Cold open question of the day, Brendan Clean. We have some other women's basketball news to get to in the main meet of our show today. But Paige Beckers is going back to UConn. She said so at before a game recently. You called this, I think. If not, I don't know if we remember we got to You're another damn show. Right. You call you damn right you did. What do you make of it? What do you, who's who comes out? Why why does she do this? Is the W missing? Like who's the loser in the W sense? What do you make of this news? It was a tea leaf thing more than anything, you know. I, I think Beckers has a lot of unfinished business in college because UConn, due in large part to her own injuries, has has just not not even been able to field its real team, let alone dominate or be competitive in the way we think of that Husky program doing. So that just made sense. Well, if you feel like your college experience and your career at this storied program is not what you hoped it would be when you declared there so many years ago, I obviously could see wanting to live up to that potential. Her best friend is her and second best player on the team, AZ Fudd. And... I don't know if she feel felt confidently enough about her draft status to be kind of charting it that way, but you know, the Mercury now traded their pick to the sky and that's not a program a lot of places a lot of players seem to want to go to. A lot of, you know, and WNBA talent has left there recently and that would probably do, you know, in, in the mock drafts we're seeing be where she would have ended up at number three. It just felt like a lot of things kind of coming together and she can go back for two more seasons. Whereas some of these other players, Caitlin Clark and Cameron Brink and Camila Cardoso, the other players at the top of this draft are only kind of, is it, are you going to take your COVID year? Are you not? For her, it could be two more. So she would have been ahead of even they were. It just, it it kind of added up to me in a way that that made a lot of sense. I guess I would just throw back to you. Why did she say it now? Why announce it in the randomly in the middle of February when, I mean, they could just surprise us all and make a deep run. We don't, we don't know yet, but she seemed to have her mind made up. That's what surprised me about it. I think it's just that she said it at a t- at a day where it was senior night, yeah. So it's just that that felt probably that just practically, and she had an on court interview. She had a chance to just say it publicly, not like in an Instagram post or like in a TV interview. She got a chance to say it in front of the crowd and do it in that specific way. I think that it just practically that's probably why. She also, yeah. Brendan, I would say, if you're looking ahead to the next year's draft. There is, I mean, there's a way she could play herself back into like number one pick. She's that talented. I mean, she was the, she was the person in this class before the Clayton Clark thing really popped off. It was the Paige Becker show in a lot of ways before it became the Caitlin Clark era. So the the idea that she could come back next year of a monster year, UConn reload, she wins something big. Maybe she's in the running for the number one pick a year from now. That wouldn't shock me. No. Yeah, she and, maybe, and and a much more successful season, I think, probably most importantly for her. Yeah, and maybe just maybe there's some comfort with the health thing too. We don't, you know, we don't know, but that could be. I that wouldn't shock me. She just wants to to feel healthy before she goes on to the next part of her career. All right, coming up on today's show, All Star Weekend recap. Some comments from Adam Silver from All Star Weekend. Jock Vaughn got fired. 
Mike Conley extended. Caitlin Clark, Clay Thompson. A lot on today's Just Basketball show. Let's dive in. Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Queen. Uh, Brendan Clean, not Brendan Queen. Although he, he's a kid way. more than he's a kid. Yeah, either way. Want to thank everyone for tuning in. This is your twice weekly show covering all things basketball. Want to tell you about our friends at Thrive Fantasy 2. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your deposit, your first deposit up to $250. And check us out on TikTok when the NBA schedule kicks back up, I believe on Thursday. Games are back. We'll be doing prop videos over there. Our guy, Colby Olsen, and I. Brennan, let's start with All-Star Weekend. Let's go winners and losers first. And I just want to say the first loser is very obvious. The dunk contest sucks. And um, it's it's it. the three-point shootout should be the closing event to All-Star Saturday night at this point. It's the better event with more skill and more, frankly, tension. The dunk contest, after having a good year last year in the Mac McClung breakout, just wasn't good. It felt dead on TV. Talk, talking to some friends in the arena, it felt dead, I think, in the arena, in the football stadium. They, they held All-Star Saturday Night in, which maybe did have some effect there. But the loser is the dunk contest. And, and you know, Jalen Brown did get there in your, your prediction that he needed to win for it to matter. If Brennan, Even if Jalen Brown would have won, I don't think it would have made a difference. I mean, the fact that his like signature dunk of this was really like, hey, guys, it's clear I read Twitter and you don't think I can use my left hand. I'm going to put on a white glove that's like um, either Michael Jackson or in the OJ trial. Like, I, I don't understand what was going on with that Jalen Brown dunk. It was just not a good dunk contest, and it, it's jumped the shark. Yeah, I, I guess I should have been more clear with my aspirations for Jalen. There was some uh, some fishy scoring going on with him, and so there was a a very clear chance he could have won technically. But the specificity I should have should have had in there is: Can Jalen Brown dunk well? Earn the win of the dunk contest, not just technically be named the winner. That that would have maybe saved it, but um, yeah. Anthony Edwards has decided that he's not creative enough for this. He he was asked to comment about it again, and he's done so a few times, Chris. Is he just kind of gaslighting us, or do you think he believes that? No, he's gaslighting us. No one wants to do this anymore. This is over. Permanently. This is just over. So like, then I, I, what? Like, I don't, I don't under... Like, it's going to keep happening, but yeah. it's going to be like a, a rookie... A two-way guy, like a G League guy, maybe two G League guys in this case, because they like what do they have to lose? Yeah, Jalen Brown's as good of a player as you're probably going to get to the dunk contest at this point. 
Like there, there's guys, Brennan, even in the three in the three point contest. I would rather see Donovan Mitchell trying to do the dunk contest in than the three point contest based on his athleticism, his skill. But he's won. Dame it. did the dunk contest early on, right? I don't remember that. That feels like a weird thing, honestly. And so no, I think he, he did. did he's like cool. one of, when he was young. He's one of the best athletes in the NBA. I'm pretty positive yeah, he did true. it. But like you're like LeBron's never done it. I don't think it doesn't seem like Anthony Edwards or Zion or any of these guys is like going to do it. So like it might just be like a thing that happens, but we're just going through the motions. I think that's where we're at. I hold out hope that some young player who we care about will do it. Wemby? No, not maybe not even in in the league right now. I just mean I don't think it's I don't think it's dead. Like if Cooper Flag did it in three years, would would you? That'd be good. Be surprised? I mean, I, I don't know anything about should. the kid, but I just mean like I don't think it's so cooked that ever. Like I don't really have a sense for why Jod didn't ever do it. It seems like he would. I, I feel like he has a flair for that stuff and and cares, and it wouldn't exactly be hard for him to impress us or put something together, but. Yeah, why don't you throw a winner at me? Because I honestly, like, I have a lot of ideas in my head. You said you had three on either side that are more concrete. So I wonder if we can just bounce off yours as as our guidepost for the conversation because I feel like I want to not be too negative. And if I go with mine, it might just end up there. So let's go for a winner next. Okay, uh, winner is WNBA fans and fans of basketball getting the Steph-Sabrina three-point shootout, which, aside from some, I think, troubling commentary from someone on the TNT broadcast, was very well-received, was very cool, was, to me, the highlight of the thing. There's a really great J.G. Redick monologue that he put out that I, I recommend people check out about what it meant to his kids and, and the interest in it and what it means for basketball, regardless of gender. That, to me, was a, was a highlight. I'd, I, do, I will say... The belt looked a little cheap. Like that, like can we get can we get like a WWE like style belt? Like you have the money, can we get like a real belt that looked like Fanatics made the belt and Fanatics is makes everything <coughs> poorly? Um, Correct. Sorry. Yeah, I thought it but was like, very cool. I I uh, the ratings came out on Monday morning already, and that few minutes between Steph and Sabrina was the 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 portion of Saturday night's broadcast where the viewership peaked 5.4 million people and overall Saturday night was up and I would expect that that it was almost entirely driven by by that event and so I think they will continue it I as we will get to with uh, talking through more of these losers have a little bit of dread that they will find a way to fuck it up but I uh, I, I loved the spirit of it I love the simplicity of it this, this type of thing is why we tune into this stuff. Athletes doing crazy shit against each other and caring about it and, and building it up and being willing to talk about it and deal with the dumb questions and we all just sit through Kenny Smith acting a fool and we just like it anyway, right? Like, it felt kind of like the bare essentials of, of why this stuff is cool. It's funny, though, that this year, obviously the festivities were in indianapolis and two bay area athletes participated next year the all-star game is in the bay area my suggestion would be that two indianapolis athletes participate in halliburton and caitlin clark 
I, I think that would be a really fun way to continue this. That's the obvious one. That that's yeah. you have to get. I mean, Kalen Clark should just beat it next year. I I do think I want to find a way for Asia Wilson to get involved because she is such a star. It's just a little. It's just maybe we do like a footwork judging contest, like kind of like an ice skating type of deal. And there's like a you know a judging panel, and it's like uh, just, Hakeem and David Robinson, and you know maybe a little Dirk in there, and and they just kind of it's it. Who would be the NBA guy? I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect Asia. There's just what's great about her game is that she plays hard as shit and she's skilled as hell. But there's not a a specific thing of oh let her do that. So maybe it maybe it has to be footwork. Could it Embiid, Jokic? Who who would she go against? Bam. I'm gonna let that one go. Um, did you see the Embiid tweet about the dunk contest? By the way. Yes, that his knees wouldn't hold up, right? He's correct. Yeah, but I when yeah. I when I watched Joel Embiid like doing some dunks, yes. Would Daryl Morey have a heart attack? Also, yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I kind of let Zion off the hook personally. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I'm not going to ask that of him. And and Jaws had his share of injuries, not so much lower body, but um, for some can reason upper you, body with him. Can I get here? I'll give you another winner and another loser, and then we can we can yeah. move on. Adam Silver, Damian Lillard, a winner just because he ended up being the star of the weekend. Just like a great, a Again. great Dame weekend. Yeah, just Dame's great. I love Dame. Loser, can we just start the All Star game on time? Like, if you're gonna say mm-hmm. it starts at eight o'clock, don't have the game start at like eight forty five Eastern time. Just yeah, the, the NBA, the NBA has a lot of. Uh, own goals and not just that but in general the idea that the league has become the only sport where fans either in attendance or watching just it just takes away a level of seriousness and sort of like pomp and circumstance around it where it's like you are excited about this thing but we can't be bothered to make it happen when we say we will I, I know it's not that significant in the grand scheme of things, and it's always been how basketball is, but that doesn't mean it has to be. And this was egregious. 45 minutes after tip-off. I, like, cooked dinner for myself, had everything sitting ready to go so I could be at my TV at 8, and then I just sat there doing absolutely nothing, probably screwing around on my phone while, like, Shea Gilgis Alexander trotted out with a button-up practice jersey on and scowled like at the those. camera for a, for a meme. I didn't hate the jerseys. I'm saying, what are we, why are we, who cares? Yeah. We do a whole TNT show announcing these guys. They get asked a million questions about it for a month by their local media. Do they need to do a, you know, a, a catwalk across the court when their name gets announced while we all just kind of twiddle our thumbs? No, it does not need to happen. So... Yeah, let's go on to Adam Silver because I think the competitiveness of this game and what the hell the league is going to do about it is what everybody is talking about much more than Damian Lillard or even Sabrina Ionescu. I mean, I, I would say that his comments about like trying to make this game competitive and, and everything he said there, Brendan, I just don't think, I don't know if you can make the All-Star game competitive like in its nature. Like, I, I don't, like the Elam ending was the closest, like you have to just do the Elam ending if you're going to, like make it competitive that's like the only solution because all-star games and and any kind of event like this are tricky because the last thing you want 
is for this game to get too competitive and then a all-star player on a good team sprains his ankle. Yeah. Or twists his knee and has a meniscus injury or suffers a, a shoulder injury or, or something. You don't want that. Teams should feel aggrieved if that were to happen, right? Like that mm-hmm. that would be bad for the product that actually matters. You Has also that ever want happened? The game... Not that I know of. I don't think so. Then do we have to treat it as a reasonable possibility and let them off the hook with it? I'm not saying you, but we don't have to talk about stuff that's not really going to happen. Same sure. as the dunk contest. I, I mean, Zion, yes, but when people say... Like LeBron said it too, right? That, oh, the, the, the best, one of the best things I can say about the weekend is that everybody came out uninjured. Exactly who in the hell is that for? Is that a concern people had? Were we all biting our fingernails, worrying that Paul George was going to snap his ankle on the court? No. Like that is I, such I, a, that is such a, a, a a left turn away from the actual conversation and I don't think we should allow the the players who are actively ruining this product this weekend I'm not saying the product being the NBA I'm saying the product being all-star weekend to divert our attention to oh but we could get hurt no you couldn't you're not going to get hurt you're going at 30% speed if you went 50% speed would you severely injure yourself I, I doubt that how often do guys get hurt in summer runs? That's like a once in a in a five. Like Brandon Knight tore his ACL once. Check check in a, check in a got pro in the, yeah, check, check got, got hurt in a pro yeah. So I think those are the two I remember. Those were like six years apart, seven years apart. So let's say once every seven years. If if a guy got hurt at the All Star game once every seven years, I think that's. infrequent enough that it should not be considered as a a reasonable part of what you're planning around when you're making this happen so not to go on a little rant on a small point but that is that is what i think the players want this to be about and you say that there's no fixing the dunk contest or any of these things the the fix is for them to give a shit the fix is for them to decide that this matters and to do it before the financial ramifications come in because they can and they will the league's negotiating a new broadcast deal right now. Do you think the people bidding for ho- having this on their airwaves maybe noticed this weekend? I would say they probably did. And do you yeah, think hearing? I, do you think the the president of TNT was like, "Oh, but LeBron had a great point that nobody got hurt, so we'll keep our no. bid really high." No, they don't care. They don't care. And like I, I know it's tempting to say that this doesn't matter, but it does matter. It matters actually, I think, a lot more than people want to want to say that it does. Because if the players keep treating the product like it doesn't matter, fans, broadcast media rights people will also follow suit. I think that's right. I think you're right about that. So, what would your fix be? Like, what would you Elam ending? Like, what is what is the fix? I just don't think the ball, like... (laughs) Money? One of the only times you will ever hear me say that the commissioner is not uh, responsible for something or, like, to defend Adam Silver or something like that. I I think there's a lot that you can pick nits with him on. But we didn't talk about those things 20 years ago. Did we have to dangle a carrot for, for the games that we all grew up getting really hyped about that were really fun and competitive to matter? No. 
So why do we have to do that now? You know, I, I know we're me, like we do content about the league. So obviously we're a little more invested in figuring out a solution because that's fun to talk about and it's a good thing to spend time on. But like, I don't really think it's JJ Reddick's job. I don't really think, you know, it's, it's anybody's job. It's like, it's Adam Silver has a role to play, of course. If this was more of a priority to him, I do think some things would, would be better. You know, the fact that he seemed to be more excited about the court changing colors than the than than doing something to make this stuff matter more and getting players to be incentivized to participate, it goes a long way. But it's like I tweeted this before and I was obviously, you know, shouting into the ether because Twitter doesn't actually get anything done. But it's like, where were CJ McCollum and Andre Iguodala this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Love to hear what they say. Much more than Anthony Edwards goofing around about how he shot left handed and this is a break for everybody. Maybe don't let those quotes get out. Andre, CJ, you know what I mean? Like it, I think that's where I look. The, the union negotiated a pretty shitty CBA for its players and then fired its uh, executive director and replaced her with an interim ex-player as the director. We haven't heard a new hire. I don't feel like CJ McCollum's tenure is going to be, be remembered all that great right now on, on how things are trending. So that's where I look. I think that's fair. I think you're pretty darn correct in that situation. Um, any other comments from Adam Silver stand out to you? You don't have anything. Games. You're just gonna let. You're I, just gonna leave me stranded here. This just doesn't matter. No, I mean, it's I, the it's the game and sport we allegedly love, and we make a show about it, and it's deteriorating right before our eyes. Like, I think this is pretty serious. Like, think back to the NBA. To me, right now, is in the phase the MLB was like ten years ago. I know you're not supposed to say V before MLB. I don't care. <laughs> this is where this is where it is. The whole conversation is about how. It does not matter. It is insignificant and it is worsening. And MLB got in a pretty bleak place before they finally made some changes. I'd like for the M the NBA to not wait that long, I guess is what I'm asking for. I think that's fair. I think where I come is there there's there part of this is like I think something of a perception battle that the NBA has always had where people look at the NBA in a certain way and that it's you know, their guys are soft, that, like, defense doesn't matter. Like, that is always, when you talk to, like, casuals, that's one of the things you always hear about the NBA. They tell you they don't play defense in the always. Kind of, I mean, what is always? You think people I, always said that? In my, Brendan, in my personal life, like, growing up as a basketball fan, that was the thing when people said they weren't NBA fans or Cavs fans in Cleveland. That was why, because, like, they don't, like, they don't okay. play defense. That was the thing. That was always the thing. I grew um, up rooting for a team that actively chose not to play defense in terms of the Steve Nash son. So I'm not yeah. the, uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, not sure, the best sure. temperature check yeah. there. Okay. So what, yeah, what, that's always been what they've dealt with. Continue. This, the, the, in, in be, seeing an all-star game in person a couple years ago, the thing that struck me more than anything else is that it is like, I think, I think in a way that is not good for the product. And it's just, I think to me, just as important as, I think this is just as a, a part of this as um, the, the the actual on court stuff. So this is like a brand activation weekend more than it is like something you're like actually excited for people to watch. Like I think that's just also part. But of Why the can't it here. be both? Why can't it be that M and M's has a booth somewhere and does a, a million photo well, shoots and interview opportunities, me, and then me, the game is good? Let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah. The 
it has, I think it has gone too far in the, we're just going to like launch signature shoes. We're going to have people do brand. Like, I think it is like focused too much more on that and guys being like, oh, I want to rest. Like Anthony Edwards, like, like we should be, okay. I'm okay with what he said just because like we learned something from that. You know what I mean? It's like, he said the quiet part out loud that he probably got a call about it. I think the easiest I think the easiest fix is just Elam ending. Draft the team, do the the draft again, at least gamified a little bit. Maybe make the rosters 15 and do something in that scope at least to like make it something more of an event. Because like the worst thing you could have is this becomes like the NFL Pro Bowl that just nobody cares about. Like that's like that's like the bleakest End of this, and but you don't have the benefit right because no, and the NFLs they don't have the benefit of being the NFL, which is like the no one ever that that product is, remains. In they the don't pop need the, the Pro Bowl, right? The NBA yeah, needs the NBA, this. It, yes, and that's I think you have to get it to Elam ending, making competitive. I mean, like I don't I don't think like you I don't think like doing like home court or anything like that is like a fair way to do this to make there be some stakes. Is it just, like and I think in terms of like communicating to the public that matters, I don't think people give a shit if there's fifty thousand dollars a piece for the people who win. Like I'm sorry, like at a certain point it's like those guys are already like I say this believing athletes should get paid lots of money because they, they're putting on a product that T V rights are a lot for. They're the ones creating the value. Your average person, me included, does not give a shit about like multimillionaires making another fifty thousand dollars. I don't care. Agreed. So and I think the guys I, twenty years ago didn't need that. Yeah. So yeah. you know how how much goodwill are you it's, really going to buy with people who are fed up t- tuning into this every year and having it suck to say, oh well, we're paying them more now. Oh, what yeah. a relief. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's there's something. There's something here that just like at the core of it that feels just kind of wrong. And and I mean I mean maybe like I think some of the things they're doing on the on the edges are interesting. Like the G League game stuff I think is fun. I think the HBCU game is fun, but those are not things that are like ultimately driving a lot for people. Like I and even like All Star Saturday Night, which is in some ways like the, the main event of All Star Weekend because of just like what it what it has meant in the past. Like I do think that needs a reshuffling as well. Like I think the Steph Sabrina thing was the highlight, and the three point contest was the second. Those are the two best things about All Star Weekend in terms of actual basketball. Because stuff. the stars will actually do the three point contest. I think you know, I think that's yeah. the problem. And so look, like I'm not trying to. We can move on because you know everybody's having this conversation all over the internet on on this Monday, but. It's it's not just that it's the all-star game. I agree. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. But to me, it's more so emblematic of a larger concern. And the the league last year hit a boiling point with the load management conversation. That every day, every week throughout the NBA season, that was not only one of the dominant things people talked about with the NBA, but also one of the biggest, it, it, that it was so negative, that it was that it was uh, creating a perception that what they were putting out there on, on arena courts every night just was losing significance. 
this one feels like it's getting there too. And to the league's credit, they did something with this 65 game rule to address that. They have to do something here and they have to work in conjunction with the players to, to do that, just like they did with the 65 game rule, which, you know, despite what some people have said, was collectively bargained. That was an agreement that the that the players made. Paul Reed, we're talking and, Paul Reed, we're talking to you. Talk to talk to Tobias Harris. Your union rep is exactly. bad at email. Exactly. And so that's where we are with this. I think I think it has to be it has to be something and and you know bigger picture and and you know not to open a can of worms right as we're about to move on but it's like LeBron might be the the kind of figurehead we think of in this new era of the NBA where guys have a little bit more sway and and the the individual players have earned and and deserve a le- a level of respect and dignity and and power but LeBron deals with the bullshit that comes with that in a way I don't see a lot of these other guys doing. I'm not saying LeBron was out there Ding up. He could only play a half because the dude is like old enough to be my dad. But he's not, for the record, but basically. But he does the, the nonsense interviews. He's a steward of all of this stuff. He admitted that there's an issue last night, even though he did throw out the injury comment, which I didn't personally appreciate. He acknowledged it. It's not where it needs to be and seemed open to to changing that. You know, when then you hear some of these other younger guys and it's like, does this matter to you? Do you like do you can you understand the connection between what's going on and what could come, which is a legitimate downturn in in, in the financial scope of things? I don't know. Um, And maybe I'm overreacting to that part myself, but I I guess it it just bums me out to hear the 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 kind of yada yada ing of all these problems when we all tune in and then it, it just sucks. And then it's like Anthony Edwards is like, oh, it's really a break. No one really wants to compete out there. All right. Stay home then, brother. You don't have to come. Nobody made you. It's supposed to be something that's an honor. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It, it just it just frustrates me to hear it be treated with so little care, I guess. There is, I think, a generational change that has happened. I think there is also there is also, I think, like a growing sentiment within the league and and this is why the sixty five game rule is important that like the only thing that matters is the playoffs. So like it sometimes it feels like what are we doing from October until April? And like that that is a NBA problem that they they need to that's like to me like the bigger macro issue here more than anything else that I think influences the All Star weekend. Is that like we are at sure. this point where do we only care about the playoffs? Well we shouldn't. Like I was having I, I got annoyed at my co-host on Lockdown Cavs recently, Brendan, because they were like, they made the point of, I was like, look, you can say that the, the only way you can turn the page on the Cavs is by them like exercising the playoff demons. Like, I think in a macro sense, there's validity in that, right? At the same time, then what the fuck are we doing for these several months? Like, th- looking at, like, why, then why are we talking about this team? Why do we talk? Like, you, you kind of just like this the regular season and the all-star game like need to matter in some capacity because it feels like it is building towards something and i think sometimes it doesn't feel like it is maybe the nba also is just like bad at marketing like stars i i sometimes like i think like they are not the best at like yeah, building I mean, like, they've relied on around guys again the guy i just mentioned for a long time and all just, that he's been able to do to give back to the league and i think they're and, running and I, up against it and like i'm sorry to all the players with podcasts, like oftentimes people just don't like give a shit. Like that Let's, is not actually. We like, solved it. Fewer player podcasts. 
I mean, like, I mean, honestly, no, though, I, like, guys, I'm not, you know I'm not I, disagreeing. I'm just saying that's that's like the one concrete thing we've been able to agree on. No, I think we, about I, all this I, is like, I think we agree in a macro sense. I just, I think you are a little more like existentially worried about it. And while I am like worried about it, I think the All Star Weekend is like a part. It's like a, I think All Star Weekend is like a part of the problem and not the whole problem. That said, I'm I. Yeah. I think next year's All Star no, Weekend. No, it's not like, the whole problem. Yeah, but like All Star Weekend next year, like I, oof, oof, a little worried about what that's going to look like in in Golden State. Not going. Joe Lacob, you don't trust him to 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 recreate the passion for the game we all love. No. Yeah. Will we be yeah. light year? Will we, will we be light years ahead? Uh, who's to say? Um. All right, let's move on. I Adam Silver says some other stuff, 65 game stuff, G League events. We can get into that later at some point. But there's some actual like NBA news we need to get to, and that's that Jock yes. Vaughn uh, got fired by the Brooklyn Nets. And Brendan, this you shared uh, a thing with me. I hate the word. I hate using the word shared. You you sent me a a quote I hadn't seen from Mikael Bridges, basically just saying like we're not trying very hard, like kind of like really kind of an implication of Jock Vaughn. So maybe in that sense, this isn't a surprise. Mm. I guess my, my thought here is what is this solving? Like, why couldn't you do this in a couple months? Even if you were a Brooklyn Nets optimist, them being where they are, like on the fringe of the playing tournament in the East and just like kind of an ant team, even if you were an optimist, this is within the reasonable range of outcomes for this Brooklyn Nets team to me. So what what is this solving? What is this actually helping you accomplish right now by firing a guy who seemed just solid? Maybe not a top ten coach, but a solid coach. What problem are you solving by doing this now? You're not solving any problem. They're not going to improve because of this. They got swept in the playoffs last year. They rode, you know, a really impressive stretch of basketball from Mikael Bridges and some you know momentum coming off even after they they broke down their team at the deadline last year to a higher seed than maybe we thought they would fall to after Kyrie and KD left but the Nets I've been saying this all year I I think I've brought up various times throughout the season with you know Nets fans turning on McHale and that's why I've I've emphasized so much that as we've taught, we did our preview show about the Nets with Lucas Kaplan and even last year heading into the playoffs. I think I've been pretty consistent to me. Mikhail Bridges is a number three on a championship team. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like hating or just like making a random point to, to be right or something, but it matters. It matters in the way you evaluate your team. It matters in the way you evaluate your coach. And the Brooklyn Nets, to me, fundamentally are a team built around guys being asked to do significantly more than they are supposed, than they should ever have to do. And not just in terms of a one, two, three, Batman, Robin, whatever. Nick Claxton showed us last year, right? Best season of his career. A lot of space, playmakers to give him the ball on offense, and a secondary rim protector to maximize what he's great at as a defender. Kevin Durant had an amazing defensive season next to Claxton last year. That allowed Claxton to switch more. That allowed Claxton to be mobile and and use his athleticism and and length to be a disruptor and not always have to be the only guy who can protect the rim. Nick Claxton's been nowhere close to his 
previous levels this season. Mikael Bridges, nope. like I just said, without a point guard, without Chris Paul or whatever it was and not being a consistent enough creator. Well, now he looks a lot worse. Mikael Bridges is the same quality of player. You could even make the argument he's gotten better. It just doesn't feel that way. And Sham Sharania today, Chris, I don't know if I know you said you were um, logging on and everything and running some errands this morning. He had a quote go around that there was frustration from Dinwiddie, who's gone, and Bridges that the offense had been built around Ben Simmons from a what schematic what? standpoint, and that was their emphasis. And it's like maybe that's on Jock Vaughn, but a lot of this, I true? just look at the I, TBD. You know, it, it could go either way with these insiders, but. I just look at the roster and I'm like, what the hell was supposed to happen here? I'm with you. I this is this is the Brooklyn like this is what they were always going to be, barring a, a star trade, barring something just playing above their head and having a hot run. Like this is just kind of what they are. If you look at the numbers, they're 21st in net rating. They're 19th in offense. They're 18th in defense. Now, if you want to say they're underperforming, there is a statistical argument for that. They're 26th in terms of like what their wins should be versus their net rating. That still wouldn't make them a good team. But if you added three more wins to this team and they're 24 and 30 and they're closer to Chicago, that's better than than where they're at. Or like like they're on par with like Atlanta at that point instead of a couple games behind Atlanta in the in the playing race. Maybe there's some validity there. But that's also, again, just within the range of outcomes. And this team is just in a spot where, Brennan, I think a lot is hard for them because the roster just isn't there yet. Like, they don't have a point guard. The Dinwiddie stuff, I think the way his even trade got reported, I think revealed there was some strife with going on in there. So, like, I, this just feels like a team that is going to need to make some aggressive changes in the summer. Like it feels like a team that's gonna gotta start moving in a different direction and beyond just keep running this back, running this back. And also, I wonder too, is this also like a front office change? Is this like a Sean Marks trying to save his job situation, and Bob Myers is waiting in the wings maybe to 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 be that guy? Like, I is there something bold that we're not seeing bigger picture within the structure of this organization kind of coming here as well if if things don't improve? I was getting into this uh, debate with Shemit Dua, who we brought on for the Pelicans preview in the fall, and he was he was saying that the the, the Nets don't have a vision, uh, that they're not really building in any real sense towards something. I think I would disagree with that because they want to pivot from the Durant Kyrie era, Harden, if you want to include his uh, sojourn for less than a year. Um, sojourn. Oh, a word we should use more is sojourn. I'm just going to say. That's a good word. They they want to pivot from that to star player core 2.0. It's taking longer than they probably hoped. I think you could take some issue with like, hey, did you need to hang on to Dorian Finney-Smith? You know? You couldn't have gotten some assets back for that guy? Was he really doing much for you? You know, you get like two second round picks and Kata Bates Diop for Royce O'Neal. We don't really know what you're going to do with Nick Claxton. And I do think there's a reasonable question to be asked about is paying him the smartest thing in the world, given where you are right now. But if they're able to, and I think they need to make that trade this off season, we don't have those questions anymore. You know, if they get Donovan Mitchell in July, I think we understand perfectly what their vision is. Their vision is, 
a great team built around Donovan Mitchell all of a sudden. It's just right now we're in this in-between phase, but I tend to think Sean Marks is pretty decent at his job. But I also think, based on how we saw things play out with the Durant and Kyrie situation, Joe Sy runs this franchise. Yeah. So, it's really up to him, and at that point, it kind of, it's not to say it doesn't matter who runs the front office. I think they've had some pretty good player development successes and things like that, but it's about his patience. And if if the plan is execute another star trade in the next X months and Marks doesn't do that, I absolutely think he could be fired. But until they have a, a roster that has a direction and that direction has to be up because they don't have their own picks, it kind of... It's just this is this is where you were left when really, you know, Kyrie didn't want to take the shot. I mean, that's it's just we're still in the aftermath of that. And that sucks. But I don't know what you could really do to fix it. And expecting this team to win just because you want it to wasn't really going to work out. Yeah, I think, too, the only thing I would push back on as far as like them just a star. And then this is clear is the roster also around it around them like it doesn't quite make sense in the way I think you'd want it to for a star to fully come in and to just be clean like yes Mikael Bridges Claxton I think can't be that kind of guy but there's other work to do and I think that is harder just based on their pick situation like even if they have some other assets they can play with I do what think do they just- need that they don't have on the roster right now that would be tailor-made for Donovan or if they had gotten Dame or whoever it is this summer to come in I think a, I think another guard who's just like quite decent would be good. Like I I think that's part of it. And maybe and I mean to your point, maybe keeping Dorian Finney Smith is just trying to say like, hey, like we're, we this is the kind of guy we want when we make a star trade. So like, why should we trade him? Like I I could mm-hmm. see that argument even if I value wise, there's a little bit of goofiness there. But I think I mean I and frankly I also just think figuring out what what the what the f is going on with Ben Simmons is. Just also like a big I mean, part of this. What's going on is they're waiting out his contract until they cut him, or use him in a, in a trade like that. He's on. He's expiring yeah. after this year, so you know. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't disagree with you. They have Dennis Schroeder now. I don't think he's elite, but it's probably a little Fine. more stable than than Dinwiddie. I think some of those guys can can come around. You know, what does Cam Thomas look like on a team that has real structure and and is trying to win? Can he be a, a sixth man who who really gets buckets and, and makes a difference? I don't know what that kind of player is in today's NBA, but maybe that that improves and doesn't look so random the way that it can right now with him. But yeah, they, they they're not a they're not going to be the title contender the minute they acquire a player like that. But I think that that has to be their goal because again, you know, they're they're sitting eighth in the lottery right now, and and Houston's going to get that pick. So it's it's tough and uh, and not not a really easy call to just say tear it down like they already did under Sean Marks once. The the pain of tear it down and know you're not getting your pick is is a, is a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah, could not agree more. All right, uh, let's move on. Next topic we have here, Brendan. Mike Conley got an extension from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Two years, $21 million for Mike Conley, who is instrumental to the Wolves functioning. Mm-hmm. Like, we should just note that. I think that's, that's why this happens. He's 36. He... Uh, will turn 37 around the start of next season. So this is 30, age 37 and 38 seasons. Yep. 
this is this feels very much to me like a deal just you do it so you don't rock the ship you do this deal because you know you're spending big elsewhere and you need some stability at a really important position even if this guy is i think older than you would really like to have it at this point in time and to really be on the same timeline as everybody else Yeah, but their timeline is kind of right now, right? So it's not like they're doing this to shepherd along some young guys where Conley will be aged out by the time they're ready to win. They're ready to win now, and they did the Gobert trade for the same reason. So I I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this guy is taking a a greater than 50% pay cut, you know, and that's lower than the mid-level exception. You know, it's... uh, Who's on a contract like that? Dante DiVincenzo. Like he's making less mm-hmm. than Dante DiVincenzo right now. So he's making, I mean, it's mess. It's, it's $2 million less than last summer's mid-level, which is only mm-hmm. like, I mean, at least for the next couple of years, they're going to get into 13, $14 million. So he's getting paid like what is going to get paid less. Yeah. He's getting paid like a, a high end backup, which is a win for the Wolves cap sheet at the very least win for a And if he is that, which to your point at, at his age, maybe that's a reasonable expectation. Maybe there's some version of this team, you know, kind of set the town's conversation aside to the extent we can. And, and his impending huge raise contract hasn't even kicked in yet. Um, maybe there's a version of this team down the line that, that has ant as, basically it's primary initiator and you don't need anybody like Conley and you can just say, Hey, he's coming off the bench now, or we trade him or we cut him or do whatever it ends up being. And and you're fine with that. So I like it to your point. They are very expensive. So anything where you say it's a good value is music to Wolves fans ears, music to their front office's ears. And Nas Reed was the same one. I think this front office, the same way, this front office has done a really good job, I think, of since the Gobert trade, making the types of decisions to cobble together an affordable rotation and and depth around them to keep the course. You know, again, the Towns thing will be a big inflection point. We don't know what's going to happen there, but everything else feels, feels right. And Conley, since coming, they've been, they were eight points better per hundred possessions with him in the lineup last year, almost four points better per hundred possessions with him in the lineup this year. They, they absolutely need him. And so to keep him on a reasonable contract with some flexibility for yourself, like this is the, this is the type of thing that smart front offices pull off. And I think they have one. Mike Conley is as dependable as they come. Brendan, I think that's your point. That's why the Wolves keep him even at this age. Like, that's it. I think it's that simple. Um, he's such an interesting guy, too, to have Ant be with as Ant is kind of growing into his own because I feel like they're, like, almost like counterweights to each other, whereas I think Edwards has, when he talks about McDonald's or his dogs or any other, th- or his also comments about the Ulster game, Mike Conley is, like, the always kind of bringing the exact opposite energy. And two... I think he also is just someone who knows how to play with these bigs. I think like there there's something to be said about like he is kind of one of the reasons. On top of I you know Chris Finch tactically, I think maybe just them all being on the court together. He is just one of the guards in the league in an old school way that I think actually knows how to play with different like a big like Obert and a big like Towns and can kind of make it work and distribute the ball and is comfortable with that. That kind of guard just there aren't many guards like Mike Conley anymore. Like, if you were going to say, hey, we need to go get a younger 
version of him, A, it would cost you a lot of money, and they're already kind of in a cap situation, as we've, we've talked about a lot, and it's been well documented. And who are you even targeting? Right? Like, who is, like, the guard that's, like, out of favor on another team that fits this mold and can do the same thing as Mike Conley is doing for you just to, to kind of grease your wheels and, and be kind of the the fill-in-the-gaps guy? Like, that kind of guard is not really around in the same way anymore. So, like, it's a very specific need for them at this spot, too, which I think that's why this It feels sense. to me like their, their end game here, if you could, just based on what they have now, what we know now, I would guess Minnesota's hope is that Nikhil Alexander-Walker develops enough as an offensive player that he can maybe just become your other starting guard as Ant improves as a playmaker, and you level into a... It's like, you know, we're seeing this kind of with... with well, Donovan dealt with it after kind of Rubio left, and I know Conley was there with him too, but they, you, you just, you coax your young combo guard into being able to be more of a point guard. The Suns are dealing with it right now as Booker is basically their primary ball handler and they were ready to move on from Chris Paul. So I, I would guess it's something like that, but that's not happening right now. And so again, being able to keep him and, and doing it at a, at a rate that doesn't break the bank and doesn't create ripple effects that they're not wanting, uh, I think is is super duper smart. And maybe there is another guy that comes in later if we realize, hey, Ant can't be that. But for right now, they don't have to worry about that because, again, they have Conley and the Lakers don't. And they won that trade also as a little uh, aside. They uh, they absolutely made a, a smart call last last February and are reaping the benefits. Yeah, being the team that doesn't have D'Lo also just broadly is just like a, a dub. Very, uh, very nice. I, yeah, I mean, improving from Russell to Conley might have been the biggest. Uh, well, I guess the Mavs improved from Dinwiddie to Kyrie. That's pretty significant. But I was going to say the biggest like player glow up that any got any team had at the deadline outside of the Suns with with Durant last year but um yeah you know Kyrie's pretty big I guess but Minnesota's smart I know I know you know I'm I'm a broken record with it but they've made a bunch of smart decisions since that Gobert trade and they're set up for uh, success here they are and what they look on the playoffs is we're at some point where I think we're going to do or at least should do Brett I'm pitching this to you now just kind of uh what are the 10 most interesting things on the stretch run of the NBA? The Wolves and where they end up is just fascinating to me and how they look in the playoffs. I'm going to be glued into so many Wolves playoffs games. Just in a, in a real Should be some sense. cool stuff too. This this uh, Thursday or Friday, ESPN's doing one of those all-access things with, with Minnesota where they're broadcasting NBA Today and some first-take stuff from their practice facility and arena. So maybe we get some... Some good interviews and attention and, on, on this team and, that deserves and, it. And here's where Jimmy Butler MF'd everyone and stormed out and did a pre-planned interview. We yeah, I wonder if this is the first time ESPN's been on site in Minneapolis since uh, Rachel Nichols and Jimmy Butler did their post, uh, pretty much like a, a, bo- a boxer after a big match was what that felt like. And maybe yeah. ESPN rightly has avoided you know, the dead zone that they created there since, but you know, things are looking up. So hopefully we get some, some good ant comments and he can make me love him again. Cause I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little spiteful after him, uh, shitting on the all-star game. 
Yeah, not great. All right, before we get to Caitlin Clark, I want to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses. They use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. I am wearing a Cleveland Rocker shirt from Homage right now. It's super comfortable, super cozy, fits great. Check them out. And I I'll be, I promise you this, the moment they put their Guardian starter jackets back in stock, I'll be buying one and I'll be wearing it on the show. That's a guarantee. That's the Chris Manning guarantee. It's the thing I feel most solidly about based on the show. That's like just a certainty of life. Life, t- death, taxes, and homage. me buying that Guardian's jacket. And homage, that specific homage jacket and me buying it. Like, just a lock. All right, Caitlin Clark, Brendan, is the new... Official record, I know there's the the record that like isn't exactly in the books, but she passed Kelsey Plum for the most recorded points in incidentally women's history last week. And I just got to say, did it the most Caitlin Clark way possible by hitting a pull-up three from damn near the logo? Mm-hmm. Like, she is just must-watch. She is, I'm sure Peacock is like, if, if Peacock could, she could find a way to get her some money to stay and boost their services ratings for another year, I think the, the, the good folks at Peacock might bet a bit from that. Uh, but she is, I mean, just, I mean, what, I mean, there's not, there's very little else, Brennan, for her to accomplish in college. It's really just how far does she take this Iowa team? And then it's on to the W. But that, that moment, the, the, the way she has gotten a shirt out, like there's the shirt coming out of it from Nike. I love the, the old school kind of her holding up the newspaper shots we've seen from this. The way she did everything about this was just incredible. And, and it, it was and felt like a really, really big deal. Yeah, it feels a little bit like, you know, uh, coincidental that we would end up talking about this the same day as the All-Star Game because she, part of what makes her run so special, I would include, you know, Angel Reese and her end of this, dating back to their their matchup last year, and, and Angel carried a lot of this too, is she cares, you know, like... She she was asked to bring she was asked to explain and break down the the shot and and why she did it that way and everything else and the level of intricacy she explained it with demonstrated that she absolutely knew what she wanted to do there and she had the number in her head although I'm sure it was displayed on the boards in the arena and everything and the crowd was probably letting her know plenty but um and it was only eight you know it's not that hard to count she was absolutely going to seize that moment and you you just need that like that's what this stuff is about so i i loved it i was looking at her numbers again she's averaging uh 32.8 points per game on a 63% true shooting <laughs> like she's like james harden or something um basically and combined usage and assist rate is uh, over over ninety. <laughs> like it, it's it's doing this and actually being productive at it is one of the craziest things I think we've ever seen in in basketball. There's a lot of teams in college basketball on both the men's and women's sides that end up having to play like this because they might only have one really really gifted player that can actually score the ball, but she's doing it and they're winning. And, uh, like, you know, I, I know I've been a little bit raining on the parade of how far they can go this season, but 
she really is the type of player where you're like, okay, but I'm not going to say it can't happen. Yeah. I mean, Brendan, one of the games like circled on my calendar every week I write like in my planner because I'm 90 apparently and you still use a physical planner. I write in the games I want to make sure I watch. I've already pre-written in. I don't remember the date, which is why I have the planner, I guess. But uh, her senior day is against the Ohio State team that she lost to in Columbus. That I, that Ohio State team that is pretty damn good. Cannot wait for that. Like that is like, do you like basketball? She also did you see the, the star player who hit the shot and did the John Cena thing? Said that it wasn't that. That that's actually just their their sign for face guarding. <laughs> No, I don't. No, bu- no. I don't buy that for no, that's an bullshit. instant. That's that is bullshit. That is bullshit. That is. She Johnson. said basically like that we do that when we want to press at the end of a game, like face guard. I'm like, no, okay, this, even if that's true, is, you knew what this, you were doing. This this means one thing in the world. Like that is like sometimes professional wrestling seeps into the world. That is one of the things that is just like there. And and everybody in the basketball world knows that Caitlin and Angel Reese did that to each other last year. We all like. Yeah. If you missed that, you were, I don't know, you were in the night country with the True Detective folks and you just lost all attachment to the real world because everybody knows that happened. So even if that's what you your were, little sign is, I, I don't care. You got to, you, you know, you were talking some shit and Caitlin will bring it in the next game. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> are you watching night country? Like, do I need to tap in? There? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Good? It's over now. So okay. I watched. All right. True Detective, okay. but yes, uh, definitely. Right, check I'll be. It out. I'll, I'm in. I'm on a Tokyo place right now. Shout out to Max. Um, so, Brendan, you have in our thing. Who could have someone who could have next? Yeah, well, I think I I agree with you. Like the way this season has gone, and her being able to maintain the attention and relevancy and winning that she was able to to get last year. Maybe she's just so hungry for a college championship that. She stays, but I. It feels like this is trending toward her leaving, right? Would you yeah, it, agree with my premise? I mean, I, I, I don't see a reason for her to stay. There, there is not like a compelling reason to me that she should, she should stay. The way I look at it with the winning part is this: she's good enough that the Fever are are going to have a puncher's chance to compete for, at the very least, the postseason right away. Mm-hmm. So it's not like sometimes in, in deeper leagues, I don't mean deeper like talent, I mean there's only 12 WNBA teams, so you're kind of always in it just from that standpoint. If you're going to like the NFL, you know you're going to be on a seller-dweller team for a little bit and then have to work your way up, so maybe you want to stay in college to try to win a national championship. Here, it's like she's going to be sniffing that stuff right away in Indiana. Anyway, not to get sidetracked with that. I watched Juju Watkins over the the, the weekend. She played Oregon State. A, an Oregon State team without their best player, but who really almost made it a, made it a game for sure and um, could have easily snuck out a win over USC in spite of missing their best player, because they had Juju in clamps. She was 6 of 32 from the field. But I know it's cliche. <laughs> Yet, watching her, it's she's one of those players already where even in her bad games, the talent is, is, is bonkers. And even the very fact of having a, a whole defense from a veteran 
Pac-12 powerhouse be geared towards stopping her because she's proven in 23 games that she's that big of a threat is kind of all the evidence that you need. Have you gotten to watch her in, in a full yeah. game yet? I've watched her two full games, and everything you said is true. The package is there. The talent upside is there. How good she is so quickly at this level, I think, is just insanely impressive, considering she is just starting this journey. Like, we're going to get to see her grow in real time. Like, and, and Brennan, I made this point to you before we started recording. I also just think that's a good program. Like, that is a program on the rise. That is with Lindsey Gottlieb as head coach, who is well thought of in NBA circles on top of college circles. That feels like she could be at the spearhead of something huge as far as a, as a budding powerhouse in women's college of basketball. Like, I think that feels very much on the table for her. Like, in, in a little bit different than Iowa, but, like, Iowa bas- women's basketball, like, matters because of Caitlin Clark. It has a national brand now because of Caitlin Clark. Could USC women's basketball get that same kind of run here and, and also maybe just last a little bit longer just because of the market, because of – the, the the coach who's on the who's a who's a much younger coach and I think could be there a long long time like th- there's a lot to love here that she could be the spearhead of something. Yeah, there are a couple quotes from this athletic piece by Chantel Jennings that I sent you right before we hit record that I think speak to this. She said, Juju said. Um, she's from LA, right? She's from Southern California. She said, in the end, this is my city and USC hasn't been hot since the 80s, but USC had a deeper meaning than just, oh, it's home. Of course that played into it, but coming to this school and really having a big impact on the trajectory of the program, that was very important to me. And then Lindsey Gottlieb said, there has been a small group of elite women's basketball programs that the best players always go to. And you're obviously trying to become one of those, but it's also hard to become one of those without the best players. It really takes an outlier of a person to go to one of those schools before they become that. And I just feel like that that sums everything up here of what's going on. It's, it's a city that obviously is synonymous with basketball. It is a program that used to be very, very great, whose name already, I think, came up with Cheryl Miller. That might have been before we recorded, but, you know, uh, the, no, I brought, the uh, McGee yeah, I brought twins yeah. and, and, and yeah. Cheryl Miller. It's like she, she cares about that. It's the same thing Asia Wilson did. South Carolina didn't matter. Then it did. You know what I mean? And, and, and that really can be enough. And for them to be ranked and winning some of these games, they're on like an insane win streak right now. They have won um, like almost every single conference game that they've played. They lost to Washington and then they, they did scuttle a bit at the beginning, but they've now won six in a row. She is going to have a, a, a stage at the conference tournament and the, the NCAA tournament if this continues. And she's one of those players and it will be an inflection point, I think, from a WNBA rule standpoint to see if the age limit changes in the new CBA because it'll be right when she's in the sweet spot of where that will matter when they're negotiating a new CBA. But if, if it doesn't, she's going to be in college for three more years. She already scored 51 on the road at 19. Like, uh, we, uh, we might be in for another special college career already, right as we're saying goodbye to another one. 100%. All right, let's last topic of the day. Clay Thompson mm-hmm. is coming off the bench for the Golden State Warriors. It is, he came off the bench last week for the first before the Ulster break for the first time since his rookie year, scored 35 in that game. Brendan, the, the, the clay fall off, the clay decline, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we've known it's been happening for a long time. I think it was inevitable, not just based on age, but also when you go through the injuries, he did. That makes it's going to lessen your impact. It's going to lessen what you are. 
It just does. And that that's unfortunate, but it's just the harsh reality of injuries. I want to ask this question though, more than about clay, but about like why this was even possible. I think that's the interesting part about this to me. And I think part of this is Brandon Pajemski is, is a rookie who's coming in and starting over clay Thompson, one half of the splash brothers. Pajemski was not like a super high pick. He was not heralded, I think, in the in the draft in in a real real way. He's twenty years old. He went to Santa Clara. He was the nineteenth overall pick. Mm-hmm. What to you about Pajemski has made him? What about how he plays? What he does? What he's good at? What do you think made it possible for him to be someone who could step in and be the guy to take Clay Thompson's starting spot? So I think from a style standpoint and what he's good and bad at, I think a lot of people that pay more attention to the draft than you or I from an earlier point thought he made sense here, right? So being kind of a combo guard, shoot, pass, good feel offensively, big-ish at 6'5", not, you know, the physically biggest guy but tall enough to to kind of play at a few different positions which obviously they like on both ends all those things I think you could have seen coming I think to me the the part that's allowed him to distinguish himself so quickly and and make an impact as a rookie which as Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman will tell you is is easier said than done here Mm -hmm. in Golden State to me it's just his his confidence and his his IQ, really, I, especially the confidence. I mean, some of the shots that he takes and makes, it's like, I mean, honestly, it kind of reminds me of Jordan Poole, if I'm being honest, you know, to, to step into a, a program like this and, and just be like, yeah, the ball is going to leave Steph Curry's hands. The defense is going to rotate and I'm going to be the one to take this shot. That's that's a lot, you know, that's a lot mm-hmm. to put on somebody and he's fine with it. And, you know, efficiency wise, like 39% from three, 74% at the rim. Granted, he's not, you know, he's not going to get there a ton. But this 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 system, when it runs right, can create space for guys who are gifted on offense to to perform. And you just got to be willing to kind of play within that and seize those opportunities. And he's doing that. And I think he could get exploited on defense. So I'm not convinced this is a permanent lineup change, Chris. But as far as right now, they're riding the hot hand. And it's hot because he he's just kind of a guy that has the mindset to, to, to take advantage of it. The other thing that I, I Brendan, that makes him a, a you guy is I don't know if you saw, he was pretty dismayed by the fact that people didn't try very hard in the Rising Stars game? <laughs> I did not. I, I have to admit, I was not tuned in on Friday night. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I was either, but uh, I was reading some like... I guess clips. I should have said, I didn't know he was in the game. I had oh, that yeah. thought in my head, and then I had to fess up to something that I didn't actually say, which is that I didn't know is he it, was in the game, here, and I didn't know because I didn't watch. Here's his quote. It was pretty bad. Nothing like the regular season. It would be nice if we took it seriously. He gets Steve it. Steve Kerr's just fist bumping in the background. Yes, Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr is actually where I want to kind of maybe we'll get into like what this looks like big picture. I think Brennan with the words. I think they're a team we're going to have to do a real look at at some point. 
and and see if this holds and kind of see what this looks like. But I also think that it's possible this is one of the only places you could do something like this. This is one of the only coaches that could actually do something like this. Um, not every coach, I think, would have the trust in the in the buy-in from a Steph Curry, a Draymond Green, that locker room to actually be able to do this. And I also think it speaks to Kerr. Benching Clay for in, a rookie, basically, is what you're saying. Benching Clay a multi-time champion, one of the defining players of the last decade of your franchise, an icon of the franchise, to do that and have the guts to do it and do it in a way that felt very human, just the way Kerr talked about it, was just very human and empathetic to Clay. I found I don't think most coaches could walk that line, and I think that's part of the brilliance of Steve Kerr, is that he can actually do this and it not be something that comes across as like, okay, now you gotta, like, Clay's gone. It's 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 walking a line of figuring out what is actually best for the team in a in a way that is done as I think humanely and 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 empathetic as is possible. That that to me is maybe the most then that dynamic of this to me is just so one of one and, and fascinating. Yeah, I'm only changing it to the cold realities of his contract situation, not because I think that's most important, but because I don't have. A better way of putting the the Kerr and and that core dynamic than you just did, but it does make me think of his contract because it feels like a byproduct of him softening up to these adjustments. And he obviously had the comments to Marcus Thompson at the Athletic or to the media there locally, and and Marcus wrote about it a, a week or two before that, where he said, "There's nothing wrong with being a great role player on a good team after all that I've been through physically." You know, and that that that's a, a a pretty humble thing to say too. And all of that leads me to believe maybe there's a, a bigger opening for him to agree to a contract, maybe smaller than he was hoping for last. You know, when they were talking about an extension last fall, but amenable on both sides, where he can come back and maybe be paid more like a role player. You know, take a page out of the Mike Conley playbook here and accept what he is and what he will be paid, but also not be insulted by that, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and see it as an opportunity to continue to contribute with the group of people that he's done a lot with. And I just think I'm rooting for it because I want them all to finish their careers there just so we can all like yeah. enjoy the whole ride. Like I, I don't want it to break apart at the end, you know? And so maybe there's a part of me that's a little bit of a softy about it. Cause I just personally am rooting for it, but I, I do feel like he is opening himself up to it more than he was definitely like six months ago. It also to me bodes well, Brennan, that he just went off in the first game he did this. And I will see if that holds. We'll see how many games. Was that the lineup change or was that, hey, we wanted LeBron and you were going to be sent to Los Angeles? I mean, whatever it is, you got something out of him, I guess, to be cold about it. Yeah. The part of this that's so weird to me is how great, not great, how consistent and solid he was during the finals run. Why did he have that in him and then it fell off a cliff after that? It would have made so much more sense if the injury came and then he was never the same, but he just had this blip where it's like, oh yeah, and then they won another championship. And he was a big part of it. Not not the biggest, yeah. but a big part of that. Yeah. I don't know. Bodies are weird, man. Human the human body and injuries are they they don't I don't think anything nothing I think Brendan happens linearly. You know? 
like I don't think any of this stuff ever unfold exactly how you would expect is is really the lesson with all of this. No. My question about them looking forward and we you know not to talk about right now but just an unknowable thing is Chris Paul's hurt right mm-hmm. now. What's his role when he comes back? I don't know. I don't know. Be- like I j- because they've really know. found something here. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's small. He's small and he hasn't really scored at all this year. He basically hasn't even tried to. You know, so if they're leaning into more defense first lineups, more wing heavy lineups where the offense is, you know, largely going to come from Curry, Kaminga and Pajemski and, and, and a little bit of clay sprinkled in. It's like, what is Chris Paul doing? And that's true. Yeah. And there's, this is a team that's going to, I think I, Brennan, even is if they're turning in the right direction and this is like, whatever is working here, them, their path to maximizing the season. It's not a, it's not a wide path. It's a pretty narrow path. It's a tightrope. They're going to have to walk to kind of figure all this out and maximize what this is. It's not going to be an easy job for Kerr. It's not an easy job for Curry or for any of these guys. So I think, I think I'm, you were, you were on this ahead of me. This is one of the most fascinating teams. I think down the stretch run for, for a variety of reasons. Because they're playing great. Mm-hmm. They've been really, really good. They look like their old selves again. And the young guys are finally contributing. So, yeah, I'm down to do a, a deeper look at them down the stretch. And I definitely think a lot of their games will be must-watch. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to end there. This has been the Just Basketball Show for the first part of your week. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. We'll be back later this week recording Wednesday to drop Thursday for more just basketball content getting you ready for the second half of the nba season until then enjoy the hoops we'll enjoy them when they come back at least and and maybe watch some college to to wet your whistle a little bit